Welcome to the Spreading Good Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Barber, and I am so excited to have you guys tuning in today. Today's guest is someone who is near and dear to my heart. The organization that she works with is near and dear as well. means the world to me. If you know me personally, um, you can't get through a conversation without hearing about her organization that she works with, First Ascent. Before that, before we jump in, I just want to say a heartfelt thank you. If it is launch week and you're listening to this, the love, the support, the encouragement has meant the absolute world to me. If you're tuning in today, you're officially along for this this journey, and I'm I'm excited to have you here. So welcome to Spreading Good. If you could subscribe, rate, and review, the support would mean the world to me. Join the fam on Instagram at Spreading Good Podcast, and then also email at spreadinggoodpodcast.com. We will have events one day, uh, dreaming for the day when the world opens up. So to get ready for that, go ahead over to spreadinggoodpodcast.com and join the email community there as well. All right, our guest today, Mackenzie McGrath. She's a humanitarian with a passion for the outdoors, specifically climbing, and is the director of programs at First Ascents, which is a nonprofit, like I said, that I work with, and we're dedicated to creating outdoor adventures for young adults impacted by cancer and other health conditions. What is so cool is that during this pandemic, since First Ascents, or FD, as you'll hear us refer to it in this episode, since we weren't able to offer these programs to our, our normal community, we pivoted and we ended up offering these healing adventures to frontline workers throughout the United States. CNN actually covered one of the trips and I will make sure to link it in the show notes so you guys can all check it out. And if you listen to my story episode in this season, you can hear how I originally found First Ascents and why I believe so much in the mission. Mackenzie's story is one of my favorites. She first told it to me on a road trip from Denver to Vail where she introduced me to ice climbing. Like climbing a frozen waterfall just like Spider-Man. It is, I don't know if I've ever felt more like powerful in my life. It is so stinking cool. If you've never done it, add ice climbing to your list. In this episode, we talk about Mackenzie's story of what brought her to First Ascents and why she's chosen to make it her mission to bring life-changing adventures to the world. The process of healing after her brother's passing and how she believes getting outside and coming together in community is key. The power of choice when it comes to following what our hearts are telling us to do, even when the world may be telling us otherwise. It is a good one, guys. Like I said, one that is super special to me. So sit back, pour yourself a glass of wine on this episode of Spreading Good. Here's Mackenzie McGrath. Mac, welcome to Spreading Good. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you. Great to see you. Um, I'm so excited to share with the audience your story. And uh, we're, we're connected because of First Ascents, which all of you will hear a lot about in just a little bit. And if you hear, go back and listen to my story, which is the first episode of this season. It really just dives into First Ascents and how I got connected. But Mackenzie and I met through First Ascents actually on a um, ice climbing trip to Vail last year. So we were driving from Denver to Vail and First Ascents is a nonprofit who provides 
outdoor adventures for young adults impacted by cancer. So um, I got to hear a little bit of her story on that couple hour ride. And I was like, oh my gosh, Mac, like we have to, the world needs to hear this story. You're, you are so incredible. And I'm just excited to dive in today and um, dig in and just let people hear a little bit of your heart and what, what's got you to first ascents and just the work you're doing today. So can you start us off where, let's go back to college because I know that you're at First Ascents now, but you did some pretty specific studying that took you around the world. So start yeah. me in college. Um, give us a little um, a little insight into who Mac was then and what your your dreams and goals were with everything that you were studying. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me, Jenny. I'm excited I'm so to get it, get into this with you. Um, yeah, it's been a journey, I think, for a lot of folks that end up at First Ascents. It's about um, their life experience and how their path has um, kind of influenced them to end up working for an organization and a cause that um, FD serves. So my journey is, is, you know, the past decade has looked very different and just life circumstances kind of led me to, to my role now at First Ascents. But back in college, you know, I went, I went to undergraduate at American University in Washington, D.C. At that point in time, um, I was studying public communications, thought I wanted to do PR, um, but, you know, quickly became apparent to me mid-college years that I wanted to focus on international work um, and live abroad. So um, I did end up finishing my undergraduate degree at American University, and then as soon as I finished college, I, I decided to move overseas. So I moved to Japan for a year. Wow. What did you do in Japan? That's way different than you know, <laughs> PR in the United States. So yeah. what were you doing there? So I spent a year um, teaching English in Japan, kind of fell in love with Japanese culture um, and just spending time overseas and being part of a larger expatriate community. Um, after Japan, Gosh, this seems like so long ago, it's kind of hard to retrace, but I ended up spending a year in New Zealand. Um, and then, you know, those couple years overseas, it became apparent to me that I wanted to go back to school um, and get my master's degree. And I had dreams of being an aid worker at that point in time. So I decided to come back and get my master's degree in international studies and humanitarian aid. Wow. And you, so you came back to the U.S.? And then that still took you back overseas, correct, after that for, uh, for a little bit? Yeah. So I finished um, my master's degree in the States in 2009. And part of my master's program was spending some time overseas. So the second year um, of my graduate program, I attended a human rights law clinic at Hebrew University in uh, Jerusalem, Israel, and then ended up doing a lot of volunteer work in the West Bank in Dehesha Refugee Camp, which is in the West Bank. It's an IDP camp for Palestinians. Um, so I spent some time over in the Middle East. And then subsequently during that second year, I had applied to be a, a foreign service officer. So a US diplomat um, for USAID, which is a, a government agency um, funded by the, the US government that runs um, humanitarian aid and development projects around the world. Um, so, so I applied, wow. I applied for, for that. And, um, 
it took me two years to get into the foreign service. So, you know, I graduated from my graduate program and tried to figure out what do I do next while I was waiting for this position in the foreign service. So I took a job doing refugee resettlement work over in, in Africa and spent a year over in Africa based in Nairobi, but mostly working out of refugee camps in, um, in East Africa and a little bit in South Africa. And all of that time, so is your whole family, everything else you know, back at home? Did you feel pretty settled in, in your work overseas and, and content with that? Or was there? Eh, I, all my family was, was back in the U.S. Um, I feel very fortunate that I grew up with a family that was taking international trips. They had the means to, and they were encouraging me to. Um, so from a year, really young age, you know, they were encouraging me to, to travel and to adventure and to be curious about the world around me. Um, but my family was all based in the U S I think it was a little bit of, um, the grass is greener. Like I really mm-hmm. romanticized the idea about being an aid worker and working in refugee camps and like the, the, uh, harshness of it. And like, you know, picking sand out of my ears and working long days and connecting with, um, refugees and hearing stories that most people don't get the, the experience to. But in reality, it was very hard work. Um, and I quickly, you know, a cup, I was always a little bit in conflict with whether this was really something I wanted to do or not, or whether it was just an idea that the more I experienced it, it became apparent to me that it wasn't the best fit, at least in that period of time of my life. So it sounds like you probably got, it was a process of, process of getting to know yourself and what was right, even though, you know, um, knowing you, I can assume, and just even by obviously your actions at a younger age that you've always had that heart for giving back and serving, but in like, in what, what capacity. So when you were over there, I want people to understand too, your, you know, I'm not surprised that your family has, you know, a curious bone and and a sense for adventure because that is Mac too. Like look at your Instagram, talk to you in person. And it is like, let's go on an adventure. Let's get on a mountain. Let's climb it. So when you were over there as well, you're doing your humanitarian work, kind of just figuring, figuring yourself out a little bit. Are you getting to explore as well? Was that already something inside of you that you kind of got to, you know, go deeper into? Yeah, totally. I think the cool thing about um, international work was that it was also a vehicle for me, yes, to do good and to do humanitarian focused work, which I was so am still very passionate about. But I got to go to some pretty cool, far flung locations. And at that point in time, I was really developing a love for the outdoors and starting to rock climb. Um, which has really become my main hobby and passion. Um, But yeah, I got to rock climb in Hell's Gate, Kenya and South Africa. And when I got into the Foreign Service, I spent some time in DC and then eventually was posted to Central Asia. And what was really cool about that is just getting to go to a very remote, um, often not very... uh, covered part of the world in terms of publicity and media coverage. And I got to do some really cool exploring and traveling, adventuring, skiing, climbing in Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan and in these really awesome, uh, very remote mountainous 
regions of the world that not many people get the opportunity to go to. Um, I will admit, though, that I was young, you know, in my mid 20s and my early 30s at that point in time and like kind of trying to reconcile my love and drive for being in the outdoors while balancing a, you know, very traditional nine to five job. So it was a little bit of a conflict that ultimately led to me to where I am today. Right. I was going to say, and we're going to get into first ascents and how that's the life that you get to live because of that. I do want to just side note, if you guys ever get a chance to climb a mountain with Mac, like say yes, because, um, I mean, even if it's, I think it, maybe she looks at like the mountains in Colorado that we climb as like simple, but she's like, Hey, get back up there and try it again. We actually in first ascents give each other nicknames. And so it's actually been so hard for me to call you Mac when um, in first ascents, I call her spuds and she calls me dream chaser, but she's like, okay, dream chaser, let's go, you know, do another, uh, run. Let's go up the mountain again. And I'm just like, Oh, she's like, you can do it. I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. And you actually <laughs> feel when you're with you, like, no, I can actually do this. So, um, it's just so cool to hear about all the other, you know, adventures that you had over there. And then also I love, I love what you said at the end, and I want listeners to really like hold on to that one that you were in your late 20s, 30s, still finding yourself doing this work and kind of just under trying to understand where you fit in, but then also trying to find that balance of this nine to five, which is great for some and not great for others. And then this adventurous life as well. And like, how does that work in? And as you'll come to see in just a little bit how it, it worked out for Mackenzie, like it's um, it's been a journey. So so you're overseas working, adventuring, we'll say finding yourself a little bit, even though I think it's a you know forever journey of finding ourselves. What eventually kind of brought you back to the States? Did you continue yeah. doing that kind of work? What what brought you back here? Yeah, so um it was 2013 and I had been living in Almaty, Kazakhstan for a little bit over two years at that point in time. I had finally paid off my grad school loans and was feeling like, okay, you know, is this the path that I want to continue on? Am I a career diplomat? Um, and was still questioning that while also recognizing this, this passion that I have for the outdoors and the desire that I have to really connect with others in a meaningful way in a natural environment outside and how much power um, that gave to me and how much I witnessed the power that it gave to others in terms of um, healing and connection. Um, so an unfortunate kind of series of events ultimately led me back to the United States, but I was back in the US. Um, it was during the holidays, I believe, and I had, um, it was during the winter, um, of, of 2013 and I was skiing and I had a pretty bad ski accident, um, and had to have, had torn my ACL, my MCL and my PCL and had to have ACL reconstruction. So I still, all my things were still over in Kazakhstan, my whole apartment and belongings and everything, but I ended up having to do, um, pretty immediate surgery and rehab here in the States, which kept me here for a few months. So I took some medical leave. And then during that point in time, my uh, brother, Torin, was diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer. And he was just um, newly married. And he was actually diagnosed on his honeymoon, 
which is so sad. But he and his wife at the time had saved up a bunch of money. They were living in LA. They had saved up a bunch of money to do a around the world honeymoon. And they were going to go for as long as their money could take them. I think there were a few months in and he started recognizing these uh, symptoms and uh, went, went to go get scoped in New Zealand and they found a tumor. Wow. And, and remind me, how old was he? Um, he was, let's see, he passed when he was 36. So he was 34. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's, and you were in United States. So then he came back to the United States and did you get to stay where you all, your whole family was in the same place at that point? Yeah, my family, my mother was, is still based in, in Colorado, um, on the front, in the front range area. He came back and, you know, it was kind of a flurry of events like it is for so many young adult, uh, young adults that are newly diagnosed with cancer is trying to navigate the medical system, trying to get answers, trying to know what is truth and, you know, what is the right treatment plan for me and whether I want to do Eastern or Western or a blend of the two, you know, whether chemo is the right call or radiation or trial trials. So, you know, our family went on essentially like a medical kind of tour of the country, meeting with uh, cancer and esophageal specialists around around the country from the Midwest to the East Coast, essentially shopping for the right medical center on oncologists that was speaking the right language that resonated with my brother and the kind of um, treatment that he wanted to, to follow. Um, so I think, you know, that accident, that ski accident for me, even though it was painful and challenging, it, it did offer and afford me the opportunity to be back in the States and available away from work to kind of go through that initial journey with, with my family. Um, but yeah, we did a lot of driving and a lot of, a lot lot of of visiting. Yeah. A lot of visiting medical centers. Yeah. It's interesting looking back on moments in our life like that, because, um, it's not to downplay any of it, but I think when we can take a step back, later and just be like, wow, the fact that I can say thank you in a way or have some sort of gratitude for a ski trip or ski accident, excuse me, um, that kind of forced you in a way, not that you wouldn't have chosen to be here anyways in the United States, but it's, you know, work couldn't have been a thing for you. They couldn't have said, hey, stay here and and just FaceTime to see how to get check-ins on how your brother is doing. Um, it forced you to be here. So it's interesting and what a weird thing to be grateful for, but I'm sure that that is, is that how you feel that you're, you know, obviously grateful for that moment? Yeah, I'm grateful now, you know, in Mm -hmm. retrospect for every moment that I had with him, you know, every single second and, and, you know, every minute and every day is like, I just, my mantra these days is just, wow, you know, I'm happy that I had to, that I had the opportunity to experience that kind of relationship and closeness with a sibling. Not everybody does. Um, so, so that's, you know, the optimistic side of me tries to come from a place of gratitude and thankfulness for the shared experience and that it feels better to have, what's that saying, loved and lost and never have loved at all. 
Um, and with regard to that accident and, and that experience, um, yeah, it just kind of planted me in a place where I just was kind of serendipitously available in my life to be there. Um, but I also had to carve out the space and make some really difficult choices for my career at that point in time, balancing, you know, as a sibling and as one of the caregivers, but not a primary caregiver, um, of, you know, what, what do I want for myself career wise and what's most important for me, knowing that my brother probably wasn't going to live past a couple of years. Uh, so I had to make some difficult job choices. And what did those, what were those job choices and what did it lead you, lead you to next? Yeah. Um, well, I ultimately decided to leave the Foreign Service. At that point in time, um, my brother was starting treatment, and he had chosen to go to Sloan Kettering out in New York City, and my family was based in Colorado. So um, we were doing a lot of flying back and forth. He was going monthly, um, primarily with my mother and his wife, uh, and, and I was being called back um uh, to start work back with USAID either at that point in time, it's so crazy to think about it, but I was being considered for a position in Islamabad, Pakistan or Washington, DC. And I decided and was selected for a position in Washington, DC. Um, you know, what's kind of crazy is I was so tormented about taking that job because I knew that I had limited time with my brother and DC was not New York and DC was not Colorado. And I, you know, kind of regrettably was packing my bags and my boxes and putting my, putting my things together to catch a flight to go out to Washington. And I arrived at the check-in counter at DIA to check in for my flight crying because I felt such conflict about leaving my brother knowing that his situation was so dire. And USAID forgot to actually press the purchase button and never actually purchased my, my flight. Um, they sent me all the details. I, I don't know. It's kind of crazy, but they sent me my itinerary, but they never actually purchased the flight. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not very, I'm not a very like superstitious person, but I kind of stepped back from that and thought, you know, this is definitely a sign and another opportunity for choice here. Wow. Um, and ultimately, yeah, ultimately decided, you know, this is not the right choice for me right now. And so I decided to resign from USAID, um, which was a, which was the right choice at that point in time, given what was going on for me and, um, and my family. And that gave me the opportunity to stay closer to home. It's, that's interesting from, for an outsider looking in, it, it looks like from, from the ski accident it you had been you know whether you call it guided supported um down to how do you not buy a, a plane flight you know how do you not actually hit purchase on it and like get a confirmation code like that's yeah. insane so it sounds like everything was pointed towards stay near stay with your brother um yeah wow that that's crazy. And also that you had the choice and you chose to listen to it and not just go and like forcefully go purchase a ticket and, and go out there when you were already having these conflicting feelings. And then also it just sounds like there was like confirmation from calling whatever. Universe. 
<laughs> right. Call yeah. whatever you want. Um, wow. Okay. So you stay in Colorado. Um, did you give up that job at that point? Because I'm, I'm wondering at what point does first ascents come into the picture? Is it around that same time? No, it came, it came some years later. Well, actually, let me retrace my, some steps here around the time, around that time, I had been introduced to First Ascents as an organization. A girlfriend of mine was working at FD and had said, hey, you know, um, FD offers these really remarkable outdoor adventure programs for young adults in your brother's age group um, impacted by cancer. You know, he might want to take a look at it. And I, she introduced me to the concept and the organization. I fell in love with the model. And it was like this, whoa, this is the organization. This is an organization that is doing exactly what it is that I eventually want to do, which is social impact related work in the outdoors, you know, using the outdoors and outdoor adventure as a vehicle for healing um, and connection. My brother um, had inquired about one of the programs. I think he tried to go to a Jackson Hole whitewater kayaking program, week-long program at that point in time. He ended up, you know, quickly, um, it became evident that he wouldn't be able to do such a thing. And just because his health condition was deteriorating. So he ended up not going um, on the program. But I fell in love with the program and the organization and uh, just started making connections and kind of following them um, and their work. And at that time, I think what was, what was admittedly, it was a very hard period of a few years for me in terms of trying to figure out how I fit career wise into this new landscape, domestic landscape and being based out of Colorado. Um, while also wanting to make time for my brother and my family have the flexibility to travel, not be bound to a desk in a traditional, you know, kind of job that kept me in one location so that I could be freed up to travel to New York or internationally, but then also really wanting to climb and be outside because I needed that at that point in time for my own mental health. Um, so I decided to just do independent consulting work. So I started my own um, LLC and just did contract work with various um, international aid and development organizations and doing anything from grant writing and business development to program design or performance monitoring and evaluation. Um, I did at one point in time uh, when my brother was doing better, I accepted a job as a political dialogue um, advisor in Myanmar and Myanmar has had one of the longest civil wars in the world. Um, and they had, at that point in time, just signed their first nationwide ceasefire agreement with over 18 signatories. And the administration at that time that was going to end wanted to start a period of uh, national reconciliation and nation-building conversations with various parties um, that were involved in the ceasefire agreement. So I I, you know, I accepted the job. I moved over to Yangon, Myanmar, um, and got, it was a very crazy experience, but I was picked up <laughs> in, in the car, um, from 
at the airport with, I think it was three or four former like revolutionaries and I don't want to call them warlords. That's being a little bit um, (laughs) over the top, but they were certainly um, individuals who had played a large role in the civil war and had decided become reformed and decided to come back to Myanmar and play a role in the uh, peacemaking process. So I did go over to Myanmar for some period of time when my brother was doing better. Wow. Okay. And do you feel like, cause even in, from experience with the whole, with being impacted by cancer, no matter where you are in the diagnosis, you're, you're probably healing or processing at some point. So do you feel like there, can you walk me through like the years of being a little bit, you know, in Colorado and then also getting away? Do you feel like at that point you were going through the the healing process that eventually led you to be able to hold the position and do the work that you do now in at first ascents? Gosh, yeah, there's so much there. I think ultimately, yes, like my my personal experience losing a loved one to cancer definitely led me to where I am now. Um, and the desire to want to give back to the young adult oncology community in a meaningful way and kind of live that, you know, kind of give back to my brother and kind of contribute to his legacy in, in a way that could continue to honor him, but then serve thousands of people. I think I ultimately I decided like what better way to give back to myself ultimately mm. at the end of the day and him than than to work for an organization like like FD. Um I think during those those years, um those two years where he was going through treatment and I was trying to cobble together work, whether it was domestic based or internationally based, it was really um yeah, it was just a struggle. It was a dark period of time of trying to make sense of losing somebody, watching them kind of deteriorate physically in front of my eyes and feeling that helplessness and kind of hopelessness and then not knowing where I could turn to to feel um, kind of held and understood. And um, I think oftentimes like siblings can be kind of, for lack of a better term, forgotten, you know, and, and, um, do you mean the sibling of who is yeah. sick? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you, you were feeling that what, what did you end up turning to then? I think, you know, I found a lot of, uh, connection in the outdoors. I was spending a lot of time climbing and skiing and, trying to recover from my ski accident, which did take a couple years, but really focusing on my own personal health. Um, and then throwing myself into work in whatever contracts it is that I was doing at that time. I then, you know, I also had really developed an interest for mental health and decided to go back to, to school. Um, part-time and get a master's level certificate in global mental health from Harvard University. So that kind of also that break afforded me the opportunity to recheck in with myself about what are my values, what's important to me, you know, 
what do I want to give to myself and my community um, during this period of tremendous transition? And I think also in some ways trying to prepare myself for what I knew what was to come, which was ultimately my brother's passing. But honestly, like nothing could have prepared me for that. Nothing could have prepared me for that. It's totally different than actually going through it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know I've said this to you before, but I, I am so sorry for your loss and you just inspire me so much, your strength and your joy and the fact that you took the time to look at what you needed to heal yourself and whether you knew in that moment, I am, I'm doing this and it's even my healing is going to serve and enable me to hold the space for another to heal down the road. I, I don't know if you know that when you're consciously in it or if you're just in a survival mode, but the, mm. you're such an inspiration that you, you, you kept going, you kept checking in on, I care about this. I know that my heart loves outdoors. I feel healed here. It's almost like you're putting the pieces together. And then you went back and, you know, you care about mental health. So you go, you know, back to school again, which I actually did not know that piece of the puzzle, but, um, you're an inspiration to me. And I hope that the, that just hearing even that little piece encourages people and gives them the permission to look inside and take care of themselves. Even if they have this, this heart for wanting to change the world and, and make an impact, it's not selfish to, to kind of fill your own cup first, heal first. So then, um, you can finally, you know, go out and hold that space. But so I want to hear now about the work that you do at first ascent, because I would also argue the healing doesn't stop before you start at first ascent. For me, the healing didn't stop before I started working at first ascent. Um, it in this beautiful, magical way has been a healing for me as well. And so it's very much like this circular energy in my opinion. So I want to hear about the work that you do there. Um, so then it kind of puts this all together and listeners can understand like, wow, her journey. I mean, to me, it makes total sense. I'm like, you've been prepared for this, um, the beautiful work that you're doing at first ascent. Yeah. I think my life experiences, you're right, have prepared me for what I'm doing now. Um, so at, at FD, um, I work on the programs team. I'm the director of programs and I work with a team that essentially um, decides what kind of outdoor adventure programs we're going to offer, what activities we're going to offer, whether it's rock climbing, ice climbing, whitewater kayaking, mountain biking, where we're going to go, uh, what communities we're going to serve. So um, it's a dynamic job. I've been there for little over two and a half years now. Um, and similar to what you just said, it's been actually pretty remarkable looking back on these past couple of years. I will say that I'm about my brother, my, my brother passed almost five years ago. So it'll be five years ago in February. I think the job itself was a really, really important part of my healing process the ability to connect with other people who have gone through um, a similar experience that are part of that tribe that nobody really wants to be a part of, but you inherit that responsibility by having some, a connection with 
loving and losing somebody or possibly not, you know, fortunately not losing somebody due to cancer or having your own personal diagnosis with it. But it's been a really cathartic process um, and and, an experience for me to work at FD um, and to be part of a community that really understands what it's like. Yeah, that's that's a huge part. Um, I think it's this perfect storm of community and connection. And then in yours and I's opinion and First Ascent's opinion, this beautiful mixture of getting outside and, and either just being in nature or challenging yourself and pushing yourself physically and, and mentally, whether we're climbing a rock or why, you know, kayaking or mountain biking, whatever that is. And it's this, it's beautiful recipe that I, that I didn't even know would be so impactful until I got to experience it. So, um, if, if you have, I mean, I hope this just encourages people that if they have been impacted by cancer to check out first ascents. Um, and then if, if cancer isn't your story, but just the power of connecting with someone who has walked a similar walk or has anything that is similar so that can can relate to you that there's power and there's healing there for seeking out those whether it's just a one-on-one connection or or an organization um and specifically if you have been impacted by cancer um you know Mackenzie and I highly recommend come come hang out with us hang out with us at first ascents um I know we are getting close on time. So I have one more question for you before we before yeah. we head out. The show is called Spreading Good. So I like to say that we are exploring the de- definition of good, that it is an ever-evolving definition with endless possibilities. So if you're going to add to the definition today and listeners are going to go out and intentionally sp- spread blank, what is your encouragement for us this week? What are we going to go out and spread? I think I would spread, um, I would encourage folks to spread um, love. I mean, really, at the end of the day is like, uh, you know, we're going through such tumultuous times right now with regard to COVID and our future is so uncertain that bringing it back to what's really most important. And that is for me, and I think for a lot of my loved ones around me is like spreading love and connecting to those that um, bring joy and purpose to our lives. Cause we all know that life is limited and our time here is unknown. So. Amen. Spread the love. Spread the love. Yes. Amen. I think a lot of people, especially in this year have slowed down, slowed down enough to, um, recognize that even more than, you know, hopefully they had in the past. So Mac, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been so much fun. And like I said, you are such an inspiration to me. And now I know will be to so many others. Thank you so much for joining me. It's thank been you, awesome. Jenny. Thank of course. You. Thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation with Mackenzie McGrath, share it with your community. And if you have not already, join the fam on Instagram at Spreading Good Podcast. This has been the first official episode of season one. I am your host, Jenny Barber. I am so grateful you're here and I will see you guys next week.